chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all peoples. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them, into heaven, <clears throat> that the shepherds said to one another, let us, now, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Our Lord, you are as earnest about communicating the reality, the power, the depth of the significance of your son's coming to us as you were to those shepherds. We have it written. You have communicated the narrative to us. We ask that you would shepherd us today into your presence in the same way that those shepherds were surrounded by angels. May we be in the very presence of our Lord, the teacher. 
that yes, we might gain information, but gain information in such a way that it heightens and adds height and depth to our capacity to serve and worship you according to the reality of who you are and what you do. We ask for this outcome that only you can supply from you for your own glory. Amen. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Correct? Love, joy. We have a God who wants us to be happy. I'm going to challenge you. Go look at the cultures, the old pagan cultures, the modern pagan cultures. Are there any gods or goddesses that cared about the happiness level <laughs> of the people who can't? No. It was all about subservience, subservience. You'll do what I say, or I'll come after you. I'll come after you. I'll come after This is the God who wants to incite purposes to incite joy, happiness, blessing in his people. We find this in Luke's gospel. We will pick up reading the narrative again in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Excuse me, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, 
she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. What do we find in this narrative of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 38? We find a God who is unexpected. I'll say unexpected by the human race. Just a moment ago, I said, well, what is the standard nature of the gods and goddesses that human beings worship or are, in fact, forced to worship? Because if they don't, harm will come upon them. What is the nature of those gods? They are wicked. They, are, they favor certain kinds of people especially the higher in the culture they are, the more, the greater their offerings, the more favor from the gods and goddesses they get. This is the God who flips that upside down. This is the God who isn't looking to either qualify or disqualify people based on the house they live in or the wardrobe that they have or the food they have in their pantry or the possibilities of future wealth or prosperity. No, this is the God who looks upon the heart looking for authentic worshipers, looking for humble people. Some people can be humble while sitting on a throne. King David was a humble man whom God elevated to the throne of Israel. He was the eighth son of Jesse wasn't even invited to the party when Samuel the prophet came to Jesse, the father of David, and his seven older brothers and said, God has selected one of your sons to be the replacement for King Saul. Bring them here. And David wasn't even invited. And when God said no seven times, he turned to Jesse, well, do you have any more sons? Well, yes, there is the one I keep out with the sheep. Being a shepherd was one of the lowest jobs there was. It was a tough job. You were out in the countryside much of the time. Now, many towns and villages had corrals where they could bring flocks in and mix them together at night and then separate them in the day. But very often, very often, the shepherds were out. They were too far away from those places. It was a low job to have. They were not highly regarded. And yet, who is it that the angels come to? Shepherds. Shepherds. Mary and Joseph. Let me go back to reading the narrative. I think this is amazing. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And what are they told? You're to go back. Everybody is to go back to their native town, city, village, where their clan, where their family or clan uh, originated from, go back there and register. Why? This is for taxes. This is for taxes. So we can make sure we got everybody listed so, we don't, so nobody can escape our tax gathering. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth, in Galilee. 
they have to go to Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem. Were they planning to go to Bethlehem? No. Oh, by the way, Micah the prophet had said that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. There's nothing in the narrative that said that Mary and Joseph were going to go there. After all, Micah said it was he was going Messiah would be born there. But there apparently so what does God do? God has the emperor of the Roman Empire <laughs> order everybody to go back to their clan hometown to register. And so Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem because Bethlehem is David's hometown and Joseph is of the lineage of David. In fact, we know from Matthew's gospel, Joseph actually has the right to David's throne. He is the legal father of Jesus and he has the right to David's throne. And we know from the Luke genealogy that is actually the genealogy, it says, of Joseph, but it's actually the genealogy of Mary. She is also a descendant of David. But they ha- the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so you've got the Roman emperor being told <laughs> to send Messiah back to where he's supposed to be born. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in... Bethlehem is packed with David descendants. Now, what we translate as the inn, actually what that was, the house of David, the descendants of David, would have had a nice estate. It would have had a probably a gated area. But by the time Mary and Joseph got there, it's packed with other relatives. There's no room for them. What we translate as the inn actually meant the guest area of the estate. But it's already packed. And so the only place left for them to go is this cave stable that's there in Bethlehem. And as I mentioned earlier to some people, about in the, I think it was the third century, a fellow by the name of Josephus went to Bethlehem. And he lived in a cave stable for about three years, something like that, while he translated the Bible into Latin. It's called the Latin Vulgate. But he was told by the people of Bethlehem, of course he deliberately went there because he knew it was the birthplace of his Lord, but he was told that this cave that he was living in was actually the stable cave where Messiah Jesus had been born. And so here is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, being born in a stable cave stable in Bethlehem and the shepherds out in the fields have this gigantic angelic display this gigantic angelic display and the angels come to shepherds now if you're one of the first century readers of Luke's gospel you're going what 
it's bad enough <laughs> that Messiah is born in a stable. And now God is sending as the first people to laud that birth these mere shepherds. These mere shepherds? Well, what were these mere shepherds in God's kingdom? I don't think we're stretching things to understand that these mere shepherds in the reality of God's kingdom were humble, useful servants. In fact, they are very likely, personal conjecture, not original with me, but it's conjecture, that they were actually the shepherds of the temple flock. The temple in Jerusalem, they had a massive flock of sheep to supply Passover lambs to people who came to Jerusalem that didn't have Passover lambs. So they have a very large Passover lamb flock. They have a very large flock. It's very likely that these were the shepherds of that flock. And they're out there. When Jesus is born, it says he's wrapped in a swaddling cloth. They actually, when they would bring in the lambs at the pass, before the Passover season, they would bring the flocks in and they would examine the lambs for any imperfection. And any imperfection got it disqualified. If it passed inspection there in Bethlehem, they would actually take a piece of cloth called a swaddling cloth and wrap it around that lamb. They would put that, they push the legs up and they would actually wrap that lamb in a swaddling cloth and cart them to Jerusalem so they wouldn't suffer harm on the trip on the way because we want them to get to the temple flawless. And what was it that Jesus was wrapped in? One of those swaddling cloths that would have been used for a Passover lamb. What an incredible picture. Here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist would later say. And he's being wrapped in a swaddling cloth. The perfect lamb of God being wrapped in a swaddling cloth meant for those Passover lambs and laid in a feed trough laid in a feed trough. So the humbleness that we see here is incredible because God is the qualifier. God doesn't look at the wardrobe. He doesn't look at the house. He doesn't look at the things that humanity looks at as qualifiers and things to be highly regarded. No, he looks at the heart. So Joseph and his bride are sent to Bethlehem. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, and then, because there was no room for them in the guest quarters of the estate, and then the shepherds have this great vision Now there was in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. Angels are pretty fearsome beings. (laughs) We're not sure exactly what kind of angel this is, but 
uh, the seraphim, for example, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And the seraphim are reciting back and forth, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, holy, holy, Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. Seraphim means burning ones. They are angels of fire. They are angels of fire leading the worship. Could it be that a seraphim, an angel of fire, appeared to them and is offering praise to God before them? (laughs) If you saw a being whose core reality is that they are a flame, would that get your attention? (laughs) Would that lay hold of you? Would that frighten you? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Here is a fearsome angel, and what are his words about God's relationship, God's God's purpose with the human race? Peace. Shalom. Peace. Not warfare between me and you. Peace. What does Jesus accomplish, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What does he accomplish for the human race that otherwise we would have no chance for? Peace. He removes the hostility between ourselves and the Holy God. Peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Good will toward men. God, Jesus will say in John 3.16, you can all recite it with me, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. God loves us. Wait a minute. Surely he can't love me. I know what I'm like. Oh, no, you don't. You're much worse than you think you are. (laughs) I'm much worse than I think I am. God so loved the world, those who are as unlike him as we could possibly be. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, as unlike him as we could possibly be, Christ died for us. He died for us. He suffered for us when we were as unlike him as we could possibly be. This is the God who qualifies the disqualified. Peace on earth. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the... And so here is this angelic chorus crying this out to them. To shepherds. To the lowest of the low. To the very people that the world would say, what, them? So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. The Lord has made this known to us. Let's go. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. So even when Jesus, many years later, would begin his public ministry, I would dare say there were people that were, would be saying, oh, yeah, 
Remember those shepherds and what they said they had seen? Remember those shepherds who told us what they had seen? They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it from them marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And it's going to stay in the culture. That memory is going to be there. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. Then when Jesus comes forth for his public ministry, ah, yes. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. When the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Luke who was a companion of Paul, he also, Luke, he sat down, he interviewed Mary. Where does he get all of this information on what's going to be said, what has already been said to her? Luke sat down and talked to her, as of course many of the others had. Mary was present in the public ministry of Jesus. She was there. Verse 21, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus, the Hebrew pronunciation is Yeshua, is the same name as Joshua. The book of Joshua should be the book of Yeshua. It's the same name. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, which would have been 40 days. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every firstborn son in Israel has priestly responsibility. And they would have to take their firstborn son to the tabernacle, later the temple, and transfer, if they're not of the tribe of Levi, they would transfer the priestly responsibility of their firstborn son to the tribe of Levi. And there was an offering, a turtle dove or a pigeon, along with a lamb. Unless you couldn't afford a lamb. And then it was two turtle doves or two pigeons. The fact that they're presenting two turtle doves tells you they're not wealthy. They're not wealthy. They're doing the poor person's offering. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord. He belongs to God in a special way. That firstborn male, that firstborn son, but they transfer Jesus' Levitical priestly response, his priestly responsibility, to somebody in the tribe of Levi. Now we know from our study of Hebrews that Jesus is a priest, but he's not an Aaronic priest, he's not a Levitical priest. And when we get back in a couple weeks to the book of Hebrews, he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which is a higher class of priests. So that's preview of coming attractions. <laughs> 
They presented him. They presented the sacrifice that transferred his priestly responsibility to the tribe of Levi, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is all set in place by the Lord, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, this is a guy who just walks up and takes this baby up (laughs) and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, your word that you have given to me. For my eyes have seen your salvation, your deliverer, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, plural, all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles, those people who walk in darkness will see a great light, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory, the light of your people Israel. What is the number one thing that Israelis get to glory in? Hey! We're the people from whom God drew Messiah, King of kings, God of gods, Lord of lords. They're not glorying in themselves, they're glorying in the grace of God that brought Messiah through them. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory, the explosive light of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things. They have been marveling. Mary gets the appearance of Gabriel the angel. You're going to bear a son. You're going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And that which will be born of you will be born of the Holy Spirit. He will be authentic God. And Joseph, when he finds out that his betrothed wife is pregnant, they've got the contract, you know, on file down at the courthouse that they're going to get married, but they haven't had the ceremony yet. And, okay, well, I'm going to put her away. I'm going to quietly divorce her because I don't want to see her under a pile of rocks. And then Gabriel appears to Joseph and says, you will marry her because, in fact, that which is born in her, that which is conceived in her, is of the Holy Spirit. And he is Messiah. He is Messiah. And so Joseph joins in with the process, but they are both shocked. Can you imagine They've already had all this outrageous things, but they're seeing more. They're seeing this disclosed here by this man. Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Your own heart will be broken. Your own heart will be broken, but you will be 
see your son used. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Oh, not everybody is going to welcome him. Some will fall. He will be a stumbling block to some. For the fall and right, he will be a lifter up of others. For the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. A sign, a miracle, a display of God's power and glory that will be spoken against. Who were the chief opponents of Jesus and his public ministry? The religious leaders who were offended that he would dare heal people on the Sabbath. They were offended when he told, called them a brood of vipers, which they were. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Many were lifted up. The Samaritan woman at the well. Well, you've been married five times. The man you're living with right now is not your husband, but, but the day of restoration is coming. And she was actually the incentive. She was the spark plug that got that massive turning to Christ in this Samaritan city of Sychar. He was a Samaritan woman of all the people in that culture. She would, the human race would have said, oh, she's the least likely to be used by God. And God says, that's exactly why I'm going to use her. <laughs> because I am the qualifier. I am the qualifier. He is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I am calling you to testing, difficulty. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And as you read any of the gospel narratives, what do you see? You see people being unmasked. You see people being unmasked, people that had great reputation, that the culture actually did respect, who weren't worthy of it. And Jesus takes the mask off so all can see. And others he lifts up. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of, great, of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. So she was married for seven years. Let's just imagine she got married when she was 16. Okay, when you just pick that, okay. And then she was married for seven years, and then her husband died when she was about 23. And now she has been a widow for 84 years. She's about 107 years old. This is an elderly woman. <laughs> a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. She has been a servant of the Lord, fasting and prayers, not out there putting on a great display, but actually being an authentic servant before her Lord for decades. 
and coming in that instant and hearing what has been said. Coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, Jesus, to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This was a woman who had been there in the temple precincts day after day after day after month after month after year after year after year. She knows of the people that come for regular worship. She knows who's really looking for the full hope of Israel to be fulfilled. And when they come, she's telling them, she's telling them, my eyes have seen Messiah. Simeon, Simeon's eyes have seen Messiah. He's gone home now with great joy into the presence of his God because God fulfilled his promise. He has seen Messiah. We come in this time of year, this Christmas time. It's easy to be distracted. All the family responsibilities, all of the things, the foods that keep the main thing. And I'm speaking to myself as well as anybody else in this room. Keep the main thing, the main thing. It is Christ the Lord. We are to be like shepherds coming empty-handed. The one who is being, who is the great gift is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have been gifted gifted by, from heaven, from God the Father. He has gifted his Son to us to do for us what we couldn't possibly do for ourselves. Our sole responsibility is to simply hold out an empty hand and welcome the gift. Welcome the gift. For by grace, by a gift, you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the, he is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have a welcome with God based solely upon the work of God. That's secure. What is my role? Receive the gift. And, and nothing. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. Walk in it, walk in it, walk in it, walk in it. And he will keep gifting us. Keep gifting us. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask that you would bring praise and glory to yourself in a very special week in the next, in the next couple of weeks in a, in a very special way that you will enable us to speak to people and into situations that we may not even be fully aware of the reality we're speaking into. But we are asking that you would open doors of opportunity for us and grant to us the incentive, the wisdom, the courage to trust you and be useful instruments in your hands. And we do want to thank you right now. We do want to thank you right now for the gift of redemption. We know that our Redeemer lives. We are so grateful that he has completed the work. And all we need to do is receive the benefit. We give you all the praise. In your name, Shepherd Jesus, we pray. Amen.